Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis chapter number one, where we've been. We're back in our study here in the book of Genesis. We're going to begin the last verse of Genesis chapter number one. Alarms sounding, laptops dinging, phones ringing, Apple watches buzzing, horns honking, reminders beeping, Alexa talking. These and other sounds make up the cacophony that is the daily soundtrack of our lives in 2022, do they not? It seems there's always some alert, some notification, some uh, never-ending stream of emails to reply to and texts to answer and direct messages to read, voicemails to listen to and deadlines to meet. Many of us maybe feel overworked and overwhelmed, ever running but never seeming to arrive. Always going, but not quite sure if we're getting anywhere. Living with the constant feeling that there is more to do than time we have to do it. Constantly planning, but never seeming to fulfill our plans. Is any of this resonating with you at this point of your life or some season? I know it is for me at times. It seems there are always uh, something else to check and some other email to answer and a phone call to return and a meeting to schedule. As a society, I think you would agree with me that we are unsettled, we're anxious, we're worried, we're restless. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, is this the way it's supposed to be? We even have a term to describe this that all of us are running. We're running in the rat race. Anybody ever heard that term, the rat race? And we're caught up in the rat race. We, we have this term to describe this just never ending. And what's the, the picture there? Kind of the hamster wheel where you're just running, you're using all of your energy, but are you, are you really accomplishing anything? Are, are you going anywhere? This morning, I want to bring to you a message in, in our continuing verse-by-verse study through Genesis entitled, The Importance of Rest. The importance of rest, and as we continue our verse-by-verse study, we're going to come to a really interesting portion of Scripture here. I've said this, and I think this is week four or five in our study in Genesis, and, uh, and we're going to walk through, Lord willing, the entire book. I, I've told you before that Genesis is a vital book for the believer to understand, because if Genesis isn't true, then the rest of the Bible isn't true. Genesis has the pillars upon which the rest of the Bible are built upon. It is the foundation of of Scripture. It is the foundation of our faith. It, It informs who we are as believers, as Christians, and the God that we serve. It's vital to understand. In chapter one, by way of review, we won't take too much time to review, but, but you'll recall a couple of weeks ago, we studied the six days of creation. Really, there are seven days, but the six days of active creation where God created the world. And we went through it day by day, and we looked at some really interesting things about creation. We showed you this graphic that kind of summarizes those six days. And we looked at that. We looked at that in week number two of the series. And then in week number three, we looked at the fact that we're living in an upside-down world. 
that really everything that God created, man has pushed against. And it seems that what God says is good, man says is evil. What God says is evil, man says is good. And we looked at, and it's interesting that in 2022, the things that are some of the most polarizing, divisive issues of our day, what we might call political issues, a lot of them are not really political issues, they're biblical issues, some of the most divisive, polarizing cultural issues of our day, God settled in his word in the first chapter of scripture. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I want us to pick up where we finished off, and would you read aloud with me the last verse of Genesis chapter number one? Genesis one, verse number 31, the last verse. Let's read it aloud. Following his creation, what did God have to say in the last verse of Genesis chapter number one? Ready? Begin. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. He saw everything that he had made, and he said, it's very good. And unfortunately, we're going to find in the coming weeks that man got involved there, and we took that which was very good, and we messed it up. And we have a tendency to do that sometimes. We have a tendency with our sin nature to take that which is very good and to mess some things up. But God finishes creation, the the creation of the universe. In six days, he finishes that. He looks, and he says, it's very good. And then there are some interesting verses that follow, following the creation of the universe. And before we find anything else out about the history of mankind, God tucks away three verses here. He tucks away this thought that we're going to look at the first three verses of chapter two this morning. Would you read those aloud with me this morning? Chapter two, beginning in verse number one. Let's read verses one through three aloud. Ready? Begin. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Isn't that interesting? The God who never tires, the God of all power, the omnipotent God, the God who never grows weary, the God, the Bible says, who neither slumbers nor sleeps. And after creating the world in six days, he chose, in his infinite wisdom, he chose that the seventh day of creation would be a day of rest. He rested, the Bible says, and I want you to see a key word in verse number one. I have it circled in my Bible. A key word is finished. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and with that completion, there came then a rest. He rested from all his work which he had made. And in these verses, we see here God's example of rest. God didn't need to rest, so why did he do it? I believe we'll see some things in Scripture today, but one reason, he was giving us an example of what we should do. He was instituting some things for his creation. He he rested. We see God's example of rest, but then not only his example of rest in those three verses, we see God's blessing on rest. The Bible says that he, on that day that he he blessed the seventh day, he ended his work in verse 3, and God blessed the seventh day. Here's an interesting thought. You know he didn't bless any of the other six days of creation? 
It doesn't say anywhere in chapter 1 that after he made man or after he made animals or after he divided the waters from the waters, whatever he did, darkness and light, that he blessed it. He didn't do that. He said it was very good. But here he blesses the day of rest. So his example of rest, then his blessing on rest. God said it's a good thing. Didn't bless any other day. And then his emphasis on rest. Not only did he bless it, the Bible says, but then it says, and sanctified it. He sanctified it. The word sanctified simply means to set apart, to make holy, something that is sanctified. It's of, for a special purpose, for a special use. So God showed us an example of rest, then he blessed that rest, and then he sanctified it. It's the first thing in all of Scripture that is hallowed. The first thing that is sanctified by God is the seventh day, the day of rest. I don't know about you, but as I study that, and as I read it, and as I think about it, I start to think maybe this is an important truth for us to understand about the nature of our God. Maybe, and we're going to see it ex extrapolated on and, and, and added to throughout um, Scripture, maybe this is really an important piece of God's creation work, is the importance of rest. This morning, we're going to look together at two different rests that are found in Scripture and how they should impact our daily lives. I want you to think about the importance of these two rests, and I want you to consider if you are truly living in them. Number one, the first rest we're going to look at this morning is the one we see in this passage, creation rest. Creation rest is simply physical rest from our work. We see God here and for us, and we see it for God. He didn't need to rest physically. He didn't, he didn't run out of energy. But we see in God's plan where he sanctified this day. And then for the children of Israel, he established the Sabbath. This idea of creation rest, resting from our physical work for God's people in the Old Testament was very important. On the seventh day, it was one of the, uh, it was the fourth, it's one of the ten commandments that God God gave his chosen people to govern their nation. He came up with 10 laws to tell them, here's how I want you to live. And of one of those, he said, I want you to set aside a day every day, a Sabbath day, uh, to rest from your physical work. Now again, just like anything, religious people came in and made what was supposed to be a blessing of the Sabbath. They turned it into a burden. They came up with a bunch of rules and a bunch of guidelines the Pharisees did that God had never intended, and they made really the Sabbath a burden instead of a blessing. And again, we have a way of doing that with the, the wonderful things of Scripture. We modern-day Pharisees, if we're not careful, we can turn what is a beautiful, wonderful thing of salvation and a relationship with God into a burden of a long list of rules that we have to keep. But God cared about it so much that he, he made it one of the ten days of creation. From the very beginning of creation, the ten, uh, ten commandments, I, I'm sorry, one of the ten commandments of Israel, there weren't ten days of creation. From the very beginning of creation, God models a healthy rhythm of work and rest for us. What does our society celebrate? We celebrate ambition. We celebrate achievement. We celebrate accomplishment. We celebrate climbing the ladder. What about rest? I don't know, am I the only one that if I ever just stop to allow my body, my mind, my spirit to just be still and know that I am God to just rest, that I kind of feel a little tinge of guilt? Like, I know there's stuff I should be doing. I know there's things on my task list. I know there are emails I need to answer. I know there are people I need to call. 
Anybody else? Am I the only one or anybody else been there? You feel a little just, we, in our society, we celebrate, and I'm not, we're going to get there. By the way, this, is, this message is not a justification for slothfulness or for laziness. We're going to get there in a minute. God's Word is clear, but it is a reminder that we often do not follow the pattern of the healthy rhythm that God established from the beginning of creation. We don't, we don't find it important until we, what we'll call, burn out. Or we come to, our, to the end of our rope, or, or we're just, we, we, we have a nervous breakdown, and we have these things. Often we don't understand the value of these things. We feel that we need to fill every waking moment with something. God makes a clear distinction from the beginning of his creation, and, and I was reading some commentators on this passage. They say that these first, at least the first verse of chapter two, or maybe the first three, should have been included in chapter one. The chapter and verse divisions, those are not inspired of God. Those came about, about 1,500 years later later or so. They came out hundreds of years or ago, uh, hundreds of years after the Bible was written. And they say that the man that did those probably should have included this because from the beginning of God's creation, he was showing us there's a clear distinction between work and rest. What does our society, what does our culture delineate between? We delineate between work and play. We say things like this, work hard, Play hard. Work hard, play hard. And so for us, we view play as our rest. If, if when I have time where I'm not working, I need to fill that with more stuff. You, you want, want when, I, when I'm not working, I'm going to go on vacation. How many of you have ever come home from vacation feeling like you needed a vacation? Because even in our play, we feel that we have to fill every moment with some sort of activity. And so we don't delineate between work and rest, we delineate between work and play. And what that means is we're constantly doing something. We're never just stopping as God did from all the work that he had made, he just stopped and rested. No, when we have downtime, we turn on the TV, we turn on the phone, we turn on the, the, the streaming service, we jump on the computer, we, we read a book. And I'm not against any of those things, but we're always feeling like we have to do something. Even in our unproductive moments, we're filling it with stuff. In our culture, our downtime is filled with doing, with going, with experiencing, with watching, with consuming. He rested from all his work. When was the last time you truly turned everything off? Work play, devices, and just rested, rested your body, rested your mind, rested your spirit, rested your soul, stopped to be still and know that he is God, not to go to find some beautiful place to go so you could take pictures to show everybody how relaxing your day really was on, on social media, but just stopped and rested. Not just vegged out in front of a TV or a computer with brainless activity, but just stopped. I want to give us a few thoughts to consider on this idea of creation rest, that idea of physical rest from our work. And I think it's a spiritual thing as well. Obviously, God sanctified it. But I want to give us a few things. Number one, rest is an act of humility. Why, why don't we rest some of us? I believe for some of us it may be an issue of pride. Because rest is an act of humility. What are we saying when we cease from working, from doing, from achieving, from accomplishing? You know what we're saying? I'm not as important as I think I am. The world will go on without me. God, 
I am just taking some time. Pastors can struggle, probably every profession. Anybody that maybe tries to be a, is maybe God's given a gift of leadership or just wants to achieve in their lives for whatever reason. But pastors can be an interesting group of people. Have you figured that out? We can be an interesting group of people. And sometimes we have a hard time turning our work or the ministry off. The reality is for a pastor, you're never truly off because if there's an emergency or something in the flock that you need to care for, but, but even when there aren't emergencies, we sometimes make them up. And I believe that some of that from a pastor's heart can flow from a good heart to help people, but I think that some of it can also flow from a prideful heart of proving how important we really are. We, we don't want to face the reality that God's church can function without us micromanaging every detail. So sometimes pastors will make it a badge of honor to talk about how many straight days they've worked without a day off, how, 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 how long they've gone, how many years they've gone without missing a Sunday, without being gone. And again, I, I'm all for hard work, but what is that sometimes, I believe sometimes that stems from this church can't make it without me. Here's the reality, Pastor Ryan, talking to myself, the church was around for a few decades before you got here. It'll probably be okay after you leave. And I'm thankful that God's allowed me and my wife to lead and to be here, and I pray that the Lord will give us a couple of decades together. I'm glad for it, and I want to give everything that I have to this church, but here's the reality. I'm not as important as I'd like to think. God's work will go on without me, as a quote that has been attributed to Winston Churchill goes, the cemeteries are full of indispensable men. None of us are nearly as important as we think we are, and rest is an act of humility. Of me saying, God, I'm not, when I set aside intentional time to rest, I admit that the world is far bigger than us, the church is bigger than me, God can do it without me, which leads me to my my next thought. Rest is not only an act of humility, but rest is an, an, an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. Rest is an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. When we rest, when we cease from all of our work, We're acknowledging that God is really the one that's in control of all of this. Isn't it interesting? God could have done whatever he wanted with his creation. Isn't it interesting that he programmed every single one of us to have to spend 25% to 33% of our lives doing, contributing absolutely nothing to the world? I don't care how important you are, I don't care how how famous you are, I don't care how successful you are, I don't care how much of a high achiever you are, you know what you're going to have to do at some point tonight or early this morning? You're going to, some of you are doing it right now in church, you're going to have to stop, cease from all of your work, and rest. And you're like, I won't need it tonight, I got a good nap this morning, I'm coming back for nap two tonight at five. But it doesn't matter who you are. You know what God programmed, isn't that interesting? I don't know that we recognize this, but really it's a daily reminder. God reminded us every day, you you can't, you are not as important as you think you are, and you have to humble yourself, lay flat on your back, or on your side, or on your stomach, whichever kind of a sleeper you are, and you have to just say, God, I can't do it. I can't keep everything running. So whether we acknowledge this or not, what we're saying is, I trust you to keep it all running. God, I trust when I wake up that the earth's still going to be spinning on its axis. 
I trust that the tides are still going to be coming in. I trust that my heart's still going to be beating, that the blood's still going to be flowing. I trust that my family's all going to be healthy. I trust that my work will still be there. I trust that all—I can't do anything for the next six to eight hours, God. I'm I'm out of commission. I'll see you later. God, you've got this. Now, we may not say that, but every person in the world is doing that every single day of their lives. Rest is an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty that the world will go along without any input for us. The most important person on earth will sleep tonight, but God neither slumbers nor sleeps. Do you think that God maybe wanted us to have a daily reminder that He's in control and we aren't? A daily reminder that we aren't nearly as powerful as we'd like to be and that we must rest in His power to keep us safe and alive and to keep the universe functioning without even a minuscule contribution from us. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm chapter number four, in Psalm number four, verse number eight, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. God, I will lay down because I recognize your sovereignty, your strength, your spirit is more than mine. You're the only one that can keep me safe. So rest is an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. And then thirdly, rest is an attribute of a healthy life. Rest is an attribute of a healthy life. I'm a little scared to take my sport coat off. Often I get, start sweating, I take it off. But I told Steve Krosky in our church, I said, when I take it off, I feel like a magician now. So I'm not sure. I'm wearing all black. I don't know. I feel like I'm supposed to do some kind of a card trick or something. But I can't keep it on because I'm sweating. So sorry. I don't know any good tricks. Rest is an attribute of a healthy life. As my friend, Pastor Kerry Schmidt, has said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Got some amens there. Wow, you guys woke up for that one. (laughs) Finding out what the church wants me to preach about. And all God's people said, all right, you guys like naps. By the way, some of you, that's the only quote you're going to take from the whole message. The only thing you're going to learn from today's message. Pastor said, the more naps I take, the more godly I am. Teens are going to use that with their parents this summer. Pastor said, rest is really, I'm being like the creator. No, get up and work. The creator created for six days before he rested, all right? So don't don't sleep until noon, teens, all right? This is not what I'm saying. The Bible still says, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. By the way, in the Bible, a day was from sunup to sundown, a 12-hour day. So a biblical work, one could say, would be 72 hours of work a week, all right? So don't, don't, teenagers, don't be using pastor's preaching to let you sleep in until noon every day. That's not what I'm saying. By the way, isn't it one of the travesties of life, though, that when people are forcing you to take naps, you hate them? And then when you would give anything in the world for a nap, it's like impossible to get. Kindergartners are fighting. Where's our kindergarten teachers in here? We got a few of them. Kindergartners are fighting against their TK kids. They're fighting against their teacher. I don't want to take a nap. And we're fighting to take naps, right? I don't know why life works that way. I'm not advocating a slothful, lazy lifestyle, but again, and I'll remind you that God's example of rest came after six days of work. The Bible has much to say about working hard, but we should learn as believers to value a rhythm of rest. Early in the Old Testament, God instituted the Sabbath for the children of Israel, or in Hebrew, Shabbat. That word Shabbat means to cease working, to rest, and it is related to the word for seven. Going back here to Genesis chapter number two. God is saying you need to create a healthy rhythm of, in your physical life, your spiritual life, in those things, you need to create a healthy rhythm of rest. God says, I want you to implement a rhythm of ceasing from your work, and here's what we do. Again, we, we're all, I don't have to convince any of you to work less. 
We're all about that. But what we do in our society, I'll work as little as possible so I can play more. That was not God's plan. God's plan for rest was for us to stop and to acknowledge him, to worship him. We'll see it here in a minute, to remember who he is. The Sabbath was not about me having free time or me time or self-care time. And by the way, it had those, those elements to it. it. It gave you a healthy rhythm. But the Sabbath was about us taking a day, setting a day apart to remember who the Lord our God was. That's why for our family, since, since long before we were married, but since our marriage, we have set aside, and, and we're going to get there in a minute. We, we don't observe, we're not Seventh-day Adventists, we don't observe the Sabbath, but for us, we trying to have a healthy rhythm of life. We have sought uh, to set aside a day for worship with our family every week. We, we find that to be very healthy for us spiritually. That's why we'll be back in church tonight at five o'clock, uh, is, is that, that rhythm of that Sabbath. And God, again, said, in fact, it's so important. I'm going to make it one of the Ten Commandments. Rest is a holy, godly, spiritual thing, setting aside a day every week to spend time with God, acknowledging Him. The Sabbath implicitly instructed all humanity that there is more to life than work. In the Old Testament, for the children of Israel, He set up the Sabbath, the Saturday, they were to do that, and Orthodox Jews to this day will still try to follow those things. And, and I've been in Israel on the Sabbath, and, and life is very different on the Sabbath in those communities where there are Orthodox. Jews. But not only was it the Sabbath, even in their farming and things, they set up that every seven years they would give the land rest. There was that Sabbath year every seven years. God was saying, implement healthy rhythms into your life and into your work and into your family. Implement those things. That, that day afforded God's people time to hear and meditate on God's Word, to compliment, uh, contemplate uh, eternal things and pray. That principle, again, for our family is we've tried to implement. And here's a beautiful picture, by the way. The Jewish Sabbath, which we no longer, we, I personally no longer observe, or I have never observed, was on the seventh day, Saturday. I want you to think about this. It symbolized rest from work. You work for six days, and you rest from that work. And then you, get, you spend time with God, and you get recharged, and you go back and work six days, and you rest from that work. That's that Old Covenant. That's the Old Testament. That's the picture in the Old Testament for the children of Israel. What day do we gather in church? Do we meet in church on Saturday, the Sabbath church? Yes or no? What day do we meet on? Which day of the week? Why? We're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Christ resurrected, and here's the beautiful picture. For the believer, the principle of Sabbath, if you will, where we gather together on Sunday, it is not about us resting from our work, it's us resting in his work on Sunday, and all of our work flows from the work he's already done. Isn't that beautiful? As the believer, even the rhythms of our worship, everything we do Monday through Saturday flows from the work he's already done in our lives. It's not us work, 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 work to rest. No, it's resting Christ. The, he's done all of the work for us. We rest, and then we work from that rest. We need rest. We're human beings, not human doings. We need to seek from doing and just be, be still and know that I am God. So the ver first rest we see here in the very beginning is creation rest. And creation rest actually in God's, in the Old Testament, it leads to the next rest. In the second giving of the law, so in the Bible, God gave the law or the Ten Commandments he gave um, to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter number 20. 
Then they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and so he gives it again to the children of Israel. He repeats the law in Deuteronomy, and you can go to Deuteronomy 5, and in Deuteronomy 5, it has a repeat of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, but in the second giving of the law, it's interesting, God expands on the Sabbath day commandment a little bit. He expands on the fourth commandment to them, and he gives them some more information. I want you to see it. I believe we have it on the screens. Deuteronomy chapter number 5, look at verse number 12. The Bible says, keep the Sabbath day day to sanctify it, speaking to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Verse number 13 says, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, thy maidservant, thine ox, thine ass, any of thy cattle, thy stranger that's within thy gates, thy manservant, thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. So give those that work for you some healthy rhythm in their lives too, by the way, those that have leadership. That's a good principle for us to remember. And here's where he expands on it. Here's one of the purposes of the Sabbath. Look at the next verse, and it says, and remember that thou wast a servant. You were enslaved. You were in bondage in Egypt. And the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. You had no rest You were in bondage, but I redeemed you. I brought you out. I saved you. And I want you to take some time every week of your life to just sit in that truth and learn to rest, not just physically, but spiritually. Here's the second rest. We see a picture of it in Deuteronomy. We'll see it again in the New Testament here in a minute. Here's the second rest. It's redemption rest. It's spiritual rest because of his work. So creation rest, we all agree probably we could use a little more of that. We could, we could probably use a little more time being still and knowing that he's God, clearing the calendars a little bit to create some more healthy rhythms in our lives. Probably most of us could use a little more creation rest, but that's, the, that's resting from our physical work. That's physical rest from our work. Redemption rest is spiritual rest because of his work. We are a spiritually restless world. We're always looking for peace, for answers, for hope, and all kinds of things. We're trying to find eternal answers in earthly experiences. Maybe this substance will give me the peace that I'm looking for. Maybe, maybe if I achieve this in my career, that will give me the peace that I'm looking for. Maybe if I, if I have this financial security, that'll give me the peace that I'm looking for. Maybe if I get this relationship, if I find this spouse, that'll give me the peace that I'm looking for. Maybe if I have these children, that'll give me the peace that I'm looking for. Whatever it is, we look for, maybe if I go on this vacation, I'll finally have some rest. Maybe if I try that, that self-help book or that seminar or that guru, maybe if I try whatever it might be, if I go to this and I learn all of these things, we're looking for spiritual rest in all the wrong places. We're restless spiritually. We're searching for answers. We're seeking for hope. We're trying to find truth that only God can give from men who are as confused as we are. So many of us today are spiritually empty, searching in all the, wrong, all, all the wrong places. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 11 to a confused and searching multitude, he said this, come unto me all ye that labor. You're searching, you're working, you're trying to find rest, you're trying to figure it out. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You're burdened down in this life. What did he say? And he said, I will give you what church? Well, maybe, Pastor, he's just talking about a nap. Let's see. Take my yoke upon you and learn of 
me. I think he's talking about a relationship, not just a nap. What does he say? For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find what, church? Rest for your what? Your souls. This goes beyond creation rest. This goes beyond a couple days off just to sleep and catch up on sleep. This goes beyond just a Sunday set aside to worship with your church family. You shall find rest unto your souls. You remember the woman at the well? He said, can you get me some water? She said, why are you talking to me? Your your kind doesn't talk to my kind. And he said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for water. What did he say? And you would never thirst again. You'd find the peace you've been looking for. You'd find the answers you've been searching for in five or six different men that you've lived with and married. He told the woman at the well. You'd find the answers and you'd never thirst again. What was he saying? If you knew me as Savior, you'd find a peace that passes all understanding. You'd find a rest because of your redemption that nothing else can give. For my yoke is easy, he said, and my burden is light. Those of you that are burdened down in this life, he said, come unto me and let me give you redemption rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And sometimes we as pastors and we as churches and and we as religious people, we try to cast burdens upon people. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what is he saying? Stop searching, stop working, stop trying to earn it, find your rest in me, find the answers you're searching for in me, rest from the work you're trying to do, and rest in the work that I've already done. That book, and I don't know if we have the slide there, the the book that we send out, if you fill out a connection card um, that we send out, it's called Done. The subtitle says, What Most Religions Don't Teach You About the Bible. What is that book? Oh, I believe over a million copies of that have been sold. That book, what does it say? Stop trying to do and rest in what has been done. Rest, redemption rest. Are you spiritually restless? Are you, are you searching? Are, can, have you not found the answers? Jesus is still the answer. I want you to look, Genesis chapter number two. I told you it was an important word. Where, where did creation rest? It came after what? Verse number one, thus the heavens and the earth were what, church? They were what? They were what? After creation was finished, creation rest came. I want you to turn to John 19, and we'll, we'll try to wrap this up here in a few minutes. John number nine, uh, chapter number 19, fourth gospel, fourth book of the New Testament, a familiar verse to some. John chapter number 19, would you read verse number 30 aloud with me? This is Jesus hanging on the cross, paying for your redemption, for your salvation, for your sins, your forgiveness, for your mercy. John chapter number 19, verse number 30. Would you read it aloud together with me? Ready? Begin. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. There's that word again. It is what? Finished. We only find rest for our souls when we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will bring that peace. 
Nothing else will fill that void. What is Jesus saying? You can rest. You can stop working because I've done all the work. That salvation you're trying to earn with your good works, I've talked to people and I've asked them, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And they say, well, I'm doing my best. I'm trying to do as many good things as I can. I hope my good outweighs my bad. I hope that gets me into heaven. What did Jesus say? It is finished. The work, I have finished the work that God gave me to do. The salvation payment has been made to Telestai. The debt has been paid in full. It is finished. You don't have to pay any more debt. You don't have to do any more work. You just have to accept my free gift of salvation. Rest in me. That salvation you're trying to earn with your good works. Stop. Jesus said, I've done all the good works that need to be done. That love you're trying to gain by doing more from me. I've already given you all the love you'll ever need when I sent my only begotten son to die for you while you were yet sinners. That faith you think you're going to get by doing more, working more, trying harder. It's all yours if you'll accept the finished work of Christ on the cross. We try to do. Christ said, it's done. He invites you to accept his free gift of redemption and finally find rest. Lay your burdens down. He's already carried your cross. Stop, stop trying to earn your way to heaven. He paid the payment. Stop trying to find answers in all of those things. He is the answer. Stop trying to earn his love. Accept his undeserved love. All of our, all of our righteousness is his filthy rags. We could never do anything to earn or deserve his love. But Jesus did it all for us. And the Bible says that he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, He saved us. There's nothing you or I can do if he's your savior. I want to just say this morning, you're accepted in the beloved. You're a joint heir with Christ. You've been fully adopted into the family with all the rights pertaining thereto. You're loved. You're forgiven. You have an inheritance waiting for you. You're seen. How are you doing in this area of rest? Some of us who have been saved— we still, we still struggle at times to rest in the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness. We think, all right, today's the day I finally do enough to measure up. Jesus already measured up for you. Rest in him. Well, pastor, are you saying it doesn't matter what I do, that none of those things know what I'm saying is? We don't work to receive the rest. We work because we've received the rest. Our Sabbath isn't on Saturday, our day of rest, if you will. Our day of worship is on Sunday. We rest in what we received, and the rest of our good works flow from the love. The love of Christ constraineth us. We do those things not because we have to. We do them because we want to. How are you doing in this area of rest? Are you following God's example? God's example of creation rest? Isn't that interesting? For me, I thought it was interesting. After six days of creation, before the history of, the man, of mankind, to tell us like what happened after that, Adam, Eve, their kids, before we find out anything about that, God wanted to be sure that we knew that he blessed and sanctified and set apart a day of rest. From the beginning, he set a rhythm of health physically and spiritually for us to pattern after. How are you doing in creation rest, resting from your physical work? a healthy rhythm of resting from the work you're doing. 
And then how are you doing? Are you living daily in God's redemption rest? A daily joy and spiritual peace and rest that only becomes because of the work he has done? We need to rest from our work, but then we need to rest in his work. We rest spiritually because of the work he has done. We turn our spiritual lives, if we're not careful, into a hamster wheel of constantly trying to do more. He said, rest in me and let that stuff, the fruit of the Spirit. You know the tree doesn't try to bear fruit. The tree just sends its roots deep into the source of life and fruit comes. The fruit of the Spirit. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be more self-disciplined. I'm trying to re- abide in me. Abide in me, Jesus said. When you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. You're not trying. i got to try harder. i got to do more. No, I, I've got to rest in him. And then the fruits of the Spirit begin to naturally grow, naturally grow from my life. It's an inside-out Christianity, not an outside-in Christianity. I, I close with these words with, from the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 4, verses 9 through 11. There, there remaineth therefore a what, church? There, therefore remaineth a what? Rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. What we see in Genesis 1 is still being talked about in one of the last books of the Bible in the New Testament. Here's what he says, an interesting phrase. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. I don't have time to give you all the context there. You can go back and read Hebrews 4. Above it, he talks about It's unbelief in Christ that keeps us from resting in the work that he's done. So when we don't trust who God is, then we think we've got to take matters into our own hands and do more, be more, be better, do all those things. He said, it's unbelief that keeps us from entering into that rest. And by the way, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and you're spiritually restless, you're searching for answers, it's unbelief that keeps you from entering into that rest. It's faith that will bring you into that rest, what we would call salvation or being born again. And here's what he says. He said, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Here's what he says. Let us, this is an interesting turn of phrase. Let us, what's that next word, that verb? Let us what? Labor. Wait a second. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. As you study it out, you know what I believe that the writer of Hebrews is teaching us here? It's not natural and it's really hard work. It seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Work hard to get into my rest. But as you study the chapter, it's what leads us to that rest. It's belief or faith. So you know what God's Word is teaching us here? It's really hard work to stop trusting in ourselves and to start trusting in Him. It's really hard work to stop finding our identity in our work and to find our identity in Him and in His finished work. It's really hard to humble ourselves and admit we aren't in control and he is in control. Anybody else? Am I the only one that has a hard time doing that? Anybody else here? You be honest, Pastor Ryan, me too. It's hard work to admit I'm not in control and he's in control. That's hard. And so the writer of Hebrews says, be careful that your unbelief doesn't lead you to a place of restlessness. Do the hard work of humbling yourself. Labor to enter into that rest. Do the hard work of trusting his work, not your works. Because naturally, who do we, hey, what, we, I don't want to have somebody else do that job. I'm the only one who can do that job. The best. Like, you, anybody else have a hard time delegating things at work or asking somebody else to do it? Maybe you have teenagers or kids. Oh, I was going to have them do it. You know, it's, what do we say? It's just easier if I do it myself. Anybody ever said that? 
It's just easier if I do it myself. Why? Because I trust myself more than my employees or my coworkers. I trust myself more than my teenagers. I know how to do it the way I want it done, but here's the problem. That's the same mentality that creeps into our spiritual lives. It's just easier if I figure it out myself. And God said, oh, no, it's not. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. Do the hard work to cease from your own works and rest in his work. It's hard to rest in Christ. We want to do. Here's my challenge to us this morning. Let's do the hard work of trusting him more and trusting ourselves less. Let's labor to enter into that rest. If we do, we'll find physical rest, and most importantly, we'll find the spiritual rest that seems so elusive to so many in our world today. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Christian, take his yoke upon you. And learn of him and find rest for your souls. I know there's some important people in this room. There are some people that are respected by a lot of people that have really important jobs. There's some, there's some, there's some people that whatever in different areas of life. Here's what, if God, the creator of the universe, instituted a rhythm of rest in, in Genesis 1 and 2, I think probably we would be wise to follow his example. How are we doing in creation rest? Resting from our physical work. And there are probably some people here that you're trying to figure it out yourself. You're trying to make your own way there. And he said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. You've taken the burden of fixing all the problems, finding all the spiritual answers. You've placed that burden on yourself. He said, take my yoke upon you. Stop trying to figure it out and let me give you rest for your souls. Is there somebody here this morning that today's the day that you stop trying to earn your way to heaven. You stop trying to figure it out and you say, God, I'm, I'm gonna stop trying to do and I'm gonna rest in what's already been done. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.